Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to visit this morning about our Catholic faith, particularly the Catholic faith in South Louisiana, or Cajun Catholicism. We pray for all of those who are a member of the faith, that they may grow stronger and closer to Christ and his church. We continue to pray for all during uh, this pandemic. We pray that those who uh, have been sick will be healed. We pray that those who have passed will have eternal rest. We pray that those who have suffered will be consoled. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who lives and drains forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. I feel very privileged to have uh, as our guest today, Father James Brady. He is the pastor at St. Pius X here in Lafayette. Welcome to the show, Father. Thank you. It's good to be here. I have admired you from a distance. We haven't really met before today, but I'm a longtime adorer at St. Pius Church. And and, uh, when COVID came, I, I... began to attend your masses at 6 a.m. and all, and uh, you're a wonderful person, and everyone that attends Pius just really brags on you, how you're a guy's guy. But welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I was born in uh, Pennsylvania. I have a family of seven. I've got uh, two brothers and four sisters. We lived there with uh, mom and dad until I was about 11, and uh, the uh, town was Philadelphia, and just outside of Philadelphia is Lansdale, Pennsylvania. In 1977, my father took a job in uh, designing Navy ships and in Pascagoula, Mississippi. A little wow. bit of a yeah, culture shock for yeah. sure. Change. And we then moved as a family to Pascagoula, uh, where I graduated from high school at Our Lady of Victories. Went off to school at Spring Hill College in Mobile, Alabama. After graduating from college, I went to law school at Ole Miss. Uh, Hotty toddy. And, oh, my God. And then... After during law school, I was blessed to clerk for uh, a law firm here in Lafayette, Annabelle Donahoe, Bernard Torian, Diaz, McNamara, and Abel. Like I, I know those guys. And now known as the Annabelle firm. And so I came to work for them in 1990 and practiced law here for 11 years. About four years in, I, we started a firm with a few other guys. And it eventually became Bourne, Wilkes, and Brady. And then around 2000, we made plans for me to, to leave and go to the seminary. So I entered the seminary in 2001. Took a year to transition out of the law practice uh, and get all my T's crossed and my I's dotted with the diocese. And then went off to Notre Dame Seminary. And, wow. Yeah, studied at Notre Dame for five years and was ordained in 2006. And then to come full circle, the bishop assigned me to study canon law. And so I became a lawyer twice, which I'm not <laughs> sure if that's a good thing. But I uh, went off to Catholic University in Washington, D.C., spent three years there, and then came back to the diocese, was an associate pastor and at St. Michael's in Crowley for a year, then moved to Opelousas and was the pastor at St. Landry Church for eight years. And then in 2018, Bishop Desitel appointed me pastor at St. Pius, and I've been there for the last almost three years. I've been praying a lot about this interview and what to ask you, and I'm a big Tiger fan. We're not going to go too hard on Ole Miss, but I did have the thought and question, because I don't know, what is the Catholic faith like on the campus of Ole Miss? Were you involved there, or is there a lot of Catholic churches in Oxford? That's a great question. It is very different. The culture is very different. We're the small guys up there. We're the three percenters, if you want to put it Mm -hmm. in those terms. 
And uh, there is a very faithful community, St. John's, and and my faith really grew a lot there. Although it's small, um, it was it was a very faithful community and very diverse. You had everybody from professors with uh, multiple doctorates to uh, to your more common workers up and down. And it was a small church, but it was a crowded church, so we all had to sit together. There was a certain dynamic that we were all there because we wanted to be there, not because it was the cultural thing to do. Uh, the Protestant churches were much bigger, and uh, um, and they tended to look at us more as a cult as opposed to a religion. <laughs> and but in that way, your your faith is really sharpened. And uh, one of my roommates in law school, he decided to become Catholic, and. When wow. he, right, and so he was going through the RCIA at St. John's, and I really didn't have much to do with his decision to become Catholic, but when we lived together as, as, as roommates, he and I and another fella, he, uh, he, he needed a sponsor, and he saw that I went to Mass and did the things that, uh, that Catholics do, and he asked me to be a sponsor, so then I had to obviously join in the RCIA process, wow. and that last year of law school was really very helpful going through the RCIA process with him. Now, just a sidebar story. I, I had this quiet passion to be an attorney myself. I am. We have a lot in common. I'm the youngest of seven. I have five older brothers, and my mom lost a sister. But um, my my dad said, "Hey, you know, take out the Lafayette phone book." And there was only one Ford dealer in Lafayette, and there was like five thousand attorneys, and that was the end of my law career. And so, uh, I, I you know, I always had that passion. I always thought I'd go back one day. But tell me, was your thought to be an attorney did that happen before your thought to be a priest which what came first i think both of those things were present young in other words when i was growing up my father always thought that i would you know had the skills to be an attorney he said Mm -hmm. that would be a good profession for you but at the same time we had a lot of religious in my family Uh, my brother is a priest uh, my older brother my dad was a deacon my uncle uh, was a priest at the time. He became the Bishop of Allentown. But I was exposed a lot to the faith and to religious. And so even young, we were always taught to consider the religious life. And it was always appealing to me in the sense that I thought it would be a, a great way to, to live life. And, and I got, like I said, very healthy examples from my dad and my brother and my uncle. And so I think they were both there. The lawyer part kind of won out. I, I don't think I was called to the seminary at the time or mm-hmm. or called to enter formation. And so I went in, obviously moved into the secular world and uh, finished with my law degree. But in the end, I'm glad I did it. It was not a putting off. I think as I look back on it now, sometimes you wonder if you wasted God's time with your ultimate vocation. And I just look at many of the skills that were obtained as a lawyer and, and so many of them are transferable skills, uh, whether it's in preaching or in counseling or in other areas that you, uh, that you work as a priest. And so I don't think you, it was so much a waste of time so much as it was uh, preparing you for when you were going to go to the seminary. Yeah. What type of, of attorney? I'm curious in Lafayette when you were practicing, and what, what are your memories of being an attorney? Were they good memories? Yeah, I, I was a litigator, yeah. almost 100% litigation, so I was a fighter, not a lover. <laughs> um, I did have an accounting degree, and so I did some transactional work, and some corporate litigation is where I started, yeah, but it really became more uh, personal injury litigation. And as I moved forward, I loved practicing law. There was a, a great uh, fulfillment in it. Uh, we, the firm was doing well. Uh, the people I worked with were great. I had two wonderful partners. 
uh, who I was able, blessed to be able to work with and, uh, and helped me actually move to the seminary. They very much encouraged the vocation, uh, which you might think a bit yeah, different. that is. Uh, but they did. And uh, as we moved through the process, you know, I loved practicing law, but the draw to determine whether I was called to the priesthood was stronger. I knew I really could not be at peace mm-hmm. unless I picked up and left and tried it. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out in my living room and going to daily mass or praying the rosary every day. I really had to pick up and go and to see. And so as I look back on my law years, I look back on them very fondly. Uh, someone one time asked me after I had announced that I was going to the seminary that they, they asked, you know, what are you running away from? In other words, you must not be happy practicing law or something was wrong. And that would not be the case. The, like I said, uh, I was very happy. The law firm was doing great. And, and uh, we were enjoying life, very much enjoyed my 20s. But then my answer to them was, I'm not running away from anything. I'm running to something. And so I look back on those legal years as being very fruitful, but also very fulfilling and enjoyable. Formation, it sounds like, yeah for your career. So so how did it go down when you became a priest? Did they ask you to go to canon law school or did you, that was your suggestion? It's kind uh, of interesting. It was a discussion with Bishop Gerald uh-huh. and the, the diocese was in need of canon lawyers. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they sent out a note if anybody was interested to let them know. And so I also let Bishop Gerald know in the conversation that I would be happy for him to use my civil law degree in any way that he deemed fit. Nice. And he looked at me and he said, I can hire a civil lawyer. I can't hire a canon lawyer mm. priest. And so he, uh, he thanked me for the offer and he decided to go ahead and send me to, uh, to canon law school at that point. All right. <clears throat> I have some questions about, <clears throat> I had heard recently on EWTN that Pope Francis had talked about, <clears throat> I guess that, Maybe the Catholic Church has changed their stance. This may be a canon law question, I'm not sure, uh, regarding uh, the death penalty. Is that something that falls into canon law? And No, it would, so much. It would, it, you, would not, you would look at that more in the catechism than in mm-hmm. canon law. I think that's where it's addressed. But it's a moral issue. And I think there's a lot of confusion on that issue. Uh, the, the church historically has not prohibited capital punishment. And uh, when John Paul the Great, John Paul II, he changed uh, the catechism basically to say that the circumstances under which capital punishment can be imposed rarely exist. And so it wasn't a prohibition. What it was saying is that in our modern society, the need for capital punishment, the reason why you would have it, generally speaking, to be protective of society, it would be maybe a case where you don't have adequate prisons or you don't have the ability to, to hold someone in, in a jail cell. And so to protect the public, you would maybe need to do what you need to do through capital punishment for the innocent. And so it was a change in the sense of the application of what had always been the teaching to our modern society, not that it had changed the teaching on the death penalty, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so you would say that we have the ability in our society, in most of Western uh, society, to have people imprisoned for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the need for capital punishment has now been eliminated I see. in those societies. 
I, I saw one thing that falls under canon law, law is um, annulments. And I, is that something you're involved with? And a question, I think for our listeners, I find a lot of the fallaway Catholics in South Louisiana, it happens over divorce. Like it's too complicated to do an annulment or they don't want to have the money to, to do the annulment. Tell me, talk about that process. And well, In the annulment process, the, the first step is, uh, well, first you, it's difficult for someone to come to a priest or church official because no one gets married thinking it's not going to work out. So the first issue is really a pastoral issue in the sense of what happened in the marriage and how does the person process that and know that God loves them even though their marriage didn't work out. And that can be very difficult. But that's, I think, the first step is Mm -hmm. uh, the healing of the couple. And then you look at the marriage itself, and, and there is a lot of confusion. Some people call it Catholic divorce. Uh, that is not what it is. Uh, what it does is it goes back and it looks at the circumstances surrounding the marriage itself. In other words, the courtship, the date of the marriage shortly after, to see if the sacrament was properly perfected. And there are certain requirements for the sacrament to be a valid sacrament. So in, in baptism, you have to use water and you have to say the, the Trinitarian formula, right? And unless you do that, then it's not a valid baptism. Well, for marriage, there's a certain set of criteria that make it a valid marriage, going largely to consent. And so the ability of the party to consent, what was their emotional or psychological status? Did they make sure that they went to the church and and were married before a priest or a deacon? All those things that you look into. And that's what annulment does, is it says that the sacrament was not properly perfected. Now, on the money side, and... uh, I've never encountered that. I have done work in annulment cases. There used to be a small fee at the tribunal, and that was really for people who were maybe a little off base and would constantly file annulments. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was $100 or something like that. That that has been removed, and and there's no other charge for an annulment. No, uh, no charge. No, no. Now, if they hire a canon lawyer, mm-hmm. and that's up to the person, if they hire the canon lawyer, then of course you would, that's an independent thing, but mm-hmm. it's not something that you pay the church mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. And so uh, usually they would come to, uh, my, like in St. Pius, I have people who call and ask for help mm-hmm. and I'm happy to help them. And uh, we're very blessed to have on our staff a deacon who has worked in the tribunal for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And so we help them to prepare their application. Now, the application is, you would say, looking at it, it's a little complicated just because there's a lot of blanks to fill in. But the first six or seven pages are really us, and and we know exactly where to get it. Uh, The hard part is for the person to go back and look at their marriage and look at their courtship and to honestly explain what was going on with them at that time. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's very difficult. Some people I know have come years later because they just weren't ready yet uh, to examine that part of their life. They were still recovering from, let's say, a, a divorce that was not particularly friendly. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people to come and to ask the questions. There's a lot of things, a lot, a lot of misinformation about it out there and also what it is and and how it can be obtained. Mm-hmm. But yes, a lot of people, once they, what they want to do is they'll get their divorce and they'll get married, remarried. And that's where the problem is. I've had people tell me, well, I can't go to communion because I got a divorce. And I say, that's actually not the problem or not a problem. You know, if you cause the divorce, go to confession. If you didn't, you're an innocent victim, and mm-hmm. I'm very sorry. You know, but the problem is when you remarry without 
having that first marriage and old. Right, right. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Today's guest is Father James Brady, the pastor at St. Pius X in Lafayette. He and I are the same age. We are 55, or I'm going to be real soon. And uh, Father's from Philadelphia, has a priest that's, I guess, uh, a priest in Philadelphia? Yes, my older yeah. brother. So what's the conversation look like when you, you talk about your parishioners and his parishioners? I, I guess the question is, how do you describe the Cajun Catholics to him? He and I have a very different priesthood in the sense of the people. The Northeast is just a whole different culture. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of Catholics up there, but uh, it's not nearly as Catholic-friendly. And when he comes down here, uh, it's amazing. We'll go out to eat, and it's not uncommon for someone to spot us and uh, and pay for dinner. And when we ask for the check, it's already taken care of. And and uh, he's like, that never happens where I am. You know, <laughs> really? It doesn't happen where we are. Interesting. Yeah. Another another question, like when Father Marty, I was at Holy Cross, he was from New York, and he, he mentioned, and this may not be true, I don't know, you can tell me, uh, in Philadelphia, when people pass in front of a church, do they make the sign of the cross? Is that unique to us? Because in South Louisiana, you know, we, we always acknowledge the real presence when, you, when we drive by a church. Is that... I have no memory of doing that as a child. Is that right? Uh, my first memories of that would be here. Okay, and you know that's very popular here. Yes. Oh. And I think that most people don't realize in South Louisiana that, and Father Marty said in New York they did that, but that, that there were hardly any other places in the country. That's interesting. Right. We, we, I don't recall us doing I mean, I was 11 when we moved. Yeah, so, so Father, I'll let you know how you messed me up. I, uh, I, I drive in front of Pius Church every day on the way to work and, and at home, and so I, I'm making the sign of the cross in front of the old church still, and then I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's the wrong spot, you know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you do it twice, once for the Adoration Chapel, once for the main well, tabernacle. I do that as well. And, you know, so you came in and, and had this beautiful church. Uh, my mother passed away a few years ago, and, and, and one of the last things she was able to do with, with myself was to go and tour the church, and she just fell in love with it. And uh, what, what's it like having that big, beautiful church? I'm very blessed. It uh, makes the liturgy very easy and workable the uh everything is new so that's a that's very nice to have everything working the uh, ability to hold a congregation in and uh, have room unlike the old church yeah you're packed in like sardines here it's it's much more comfortable i know the people are i was a member of saint Pius before i went in the seminary so i remember the days in the old church but also during the pandemic when we needed room for social distancing it made our church really a perfect place for worship under the under the guidelines that we had. Now you may know the numbers, but I'm curious: is has the has it gone really? I know COVID's been an anomaly on that, but but you got a lot more parishioners now with the bigger church. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and we're back. Yeah. The, we're pretty much restored blown, yeah. to what we were pre-pandemic. I see. I want to. I'm curious a little bit more about your faith life. You know, what was that that triggered? Really, was the moment. I always like to ask people if you felt like you had a conversion moment, or if something supernatural led you to the priesthood. Uh, you know, when, when did you hop over that fence and say, "Hey, this is it for me"? For me, it was a gradual process, but there is a marquee moment. There were a lot of small light bulbs that went off of between, I guess, the age of 29 and 30. 34. Mm-hmm. And so at 29, I, you know, I very much enjoyed my 20s, as I mentioned a little while ago, when I was practicing law. And 
but I knew there was something more. There was something missing. I always thought it was to be married. And so you get to 29, and several people had mentioned that I would make a good priest. And several times in, in, as I moved towards prayer, I said I really needed to develop a spiritual life. You begin to realize life is not forever when you push 30. And as I began to pray, it began to, there was a draw. And I did have a light bulb moment in uh, on a Holy Thursday of 2000. I was at St. Pius X in the old church. And it was at adoration after Holy Thursday Mass. And as I was praying, I just got this overwhelming feeling. And I heard a voice, you know, I'd say the voice of God. It wasn't a locution or anything particularly astounding, but it was very much a a voice or or message to me that you're not where I want you to be. Mm -hmm. You know where I want you to be. Go. Wow. And at that point, I felt like I would be telling God no. And so couldn't do that. And so that next day, I I put myself on the calendar with uh, one of my partners, the managing partner. I put myself on his uh, calendar for Easter Monday lunch, and we would discuss what we needed to do. That's so beautiful. Tell me if you have a, is there a particular saint that you you have as a devotion to? Well, there are three that really, my confirmation saint is St. Francis of Assisi, and I love his zeal. St. Therese of Lisieux, the spirituality, and uh, St. John Vianney as a, uh, as a model for priesthood. Mm-hmm. And so uh, those three saints, I would say, I have a particular devotion to. There are many other I love that kind of move in and out of my top five, which I joke around about during daily mass sometimes when they pop up. I say, <laughs> that's a top five saint, you know. And, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but those are the three that I really kind of want to model after, uh, if, sure. if, if possible, if given the grace. I uh, I've just had a deep devotion to the rosary and, and to adoration, and it's it's been just a life changer for me. I mentioned to you I was reading The Jewish Roots of the Eucharist uh, by Dr. Brant Petrie right now, but I'm sure you read a lot. I, I would assume you're very well read being a lawyer, but wh- where are you in your prayer life with, with books today? Is there anything that you picked up recently that you'd like to share? Well, I've really begin, been focusing on, on sacred scripture and in learning more deeply the the roots. I, like you, have a great devotion to the rosary, and the rosary really moved me through many stages. Our Blessed Mother, particularly joyful mysteries, uh, I call them the, the vocation mysteries, because they really show, of, of most priests anyway, I, I would think all priests, but mm-hmm. a commonality between our Blessed Mother's journey and our journey, and the love she would have for her son, and the love she would also have for those ordained in his ministry mm-hmm. configured to him. But right now, I'm looking at, actually, I'm rereading C.S. Lewis, uh, mm-hmm. Mere Christianity. It's one of those books that you can read again and again over time, and new things pop out at you. I'm also, uh, like I said, looking at uh, Scripture and researching. Just when I have a daily passage and I'm going to preach on it, mm-hmm. go go a little deeper into maybe a word that you don't quite understand or is translated awkwardly, and uh, and try to get to the, the, the meaning that God maybe is telling me that day in in the reading that's nice just um tell us about i guess what, what was your initial impression of louisiana when you got you, you spent a lot of time in opelousas and is opelousas and lafayette different let's just kind of talk about that how has that been different oh they are yeah, they, they are, are that was they? a big switch so close too yeah. yes it was a big switch uh, opelousas is a, certainly a smaller town a little more country a little less hectic you know, people seem to have more time. In Lafayette, it's very much a, 
you know, a little bigger city. Everybody's in a rush. Uh, everybody's trying to accomplish something and thinking there's a little bit of wisdom for um, for both cities to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. But it is a very different culture. I just had to get used to the traffic. Uh, I had been gone from Lafayette for 20 years and just the congestion on the south side uh, where I was was very different. I lived there for 11 years. Right. And uh, when I moved here, I lived uh, just off of uh, College Saloon and co- and Kali Saloon was under construction. It, it was a, still a, a, a two lane uh, when I when I moved here, and uh, you know traffic was not too too bad. There wasn't a whole lot of business in up and down Kali Saloon or Ambassador in those areas. Uh, certainly, Lords, you know, the different hospitals were not there, and so coming back just trying to keep up with the traffic pace was mm-hmm. a was a different thing. You know, when can you make a left? You got to make it quicker. You're not going to make it for 15 minutes. You know? <laughs> I guess if you if you go to Baton Rouge, you really appreciate the Lafayette traffic because it is it's like even crazier over there. So, Father, um, you know what what is it? I know the church was in great need for a lot of different things, like the stained glass, and you know I don't know if y'all have fulfilled all those needs. And I know a lot of our listeners are pious parishioners or that would want to help out. Do you ha- still have needs for the church? Well, we were very blessed that somebody um, coordinated a group to. Uh, raise the money for the stained glass. So uh, the good news is is that the uh, tentative installation date for the last stained glass is uh, July the 12th, I believe, and, it, and it's all um, it's all financed. Uh, the next project that I'd like to do uh, is to uh, reinstall the bells. We do have a bell tower, mm-hmm. and uh, we've not yet raised the finances for that yet. We're we're looking at uh, Leon Packer Hall. We're going to refurbish that into a ministries building to serve the people, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully at that point the campus will be done. Uh, for the next uh, 25 or 50 years. But uh, uh, we're moving to Leon Packer. We're going to have to redo the old church. And I can think of nothing better than an old church can do is is let people receive the Eucharist and then go bring that that grace to the ministries that they're going to do outside the church. And so we'll have the old church, Leon Packer Hall, to be refurbished as a bigger project. And then the smaller project uh, is, um, is the bells. Um, on the Ministries building, There's a, uh, there are naming opportunities, so uh, if anybody wants to call, uh, just give me a call at the church. Happy to help. Yeah, tell us how to uh, reach out. Is it website or call St. Pius Church? Uh, the best way to get me in, in a quick response is by email. It's on our website, and it's in our bulletin, and uh, the email goes directly to my email privately. I'm the only one that looks at it. Okay. Uh, and uh, But you can also call the church office. It's uh, area code 337 337- Two three two four six five six. All right, you and I were talking about being in the fourth quarter of our lives, and uh, it's depressing. But uh, <laughs> Father, what uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Have you thought any bit about that? You have to think about it to some extent. Uh, and when I left St. Landry, that's the first time I really thought about it because I had spent at that point St. Landry was the longest place I had lived in my life, and and so. You know, I thought, what what is my legacy? And I told the people when I left there, and I, hopefully I'll have the say the same thing when I leave St. Pius, is that uh, my legacy will be you guys testifying to me at the gates of heaven. Uh, did I do a good job as a pastor? Did I help you uh, move towards Christ? Was I his instrument? Uh, can, can you testify to God that uh, to let me in, so to speak? And, and that's the legacy of the people that you leave. And there are many people I had to thank at St. Landry, particularly those who had died. Uh, people I couldn't thank in person because they had shown me so much about Christ and the way that they handled 
the end of their lives. And so I would hope that my legacy is is not only myself getting to heaven. That's the first thing. That's an old joke. Someone says, well, aren't you happy to help other people get to heaven? I said, actually, my work is first to get myself there, <laughs> hopefully, you know, with God's grace, cooperate with it. Uh, but then also, you know, to be an instrument for others to come to know him. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We, we just blew right through the time. Uh, even though you're from Philadelphia, you are a true Cajun Catholic, and you're a blessing to our community, and I thank you for being here today. Thank you very much thank for Thank you, Father. Me. You've been listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. We always challenge you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.